It's another one of those days, Lauren, when we read the, the scripture reading, it's like, what on earth are you going to do with that? Um, we'll get there, though. Uh, Henry Ward Beecher, he was a very famous preacher in his day, and when he was a boy, uh, he was in a classroom, and, and all his classmates were there, and, and I guess it was a math class, his teacher had asked them uh, to solve a problem, and they had... Uh, they were lined up in a row in, in front of the board, and the teacher said, give me the correct answer. And so the first boy goes, and he gives uh, his answer, and she, she, the teacher's scowling at him and tells him to sit down. And so uh, he sits down, and the next boy goes up. He uh, says his answer to the problem, and she gives him the same glare, and eventually he just sits down on his own. And the next boy goes, and the next boy goes, and the next boy goes, and each of them sit down. Then finally, Mr. Beecher was called up. Uh, he gave the same answer as all the other boys. Sit down, roared the teacher. But he wouldn't sit down. He, he held his ground. He insisted that his answer was correct. In a, a few minutes, the, uh, for a few minutes there, the teacher was stormed at him. He, uh, she let him have it. Uh, how dare you contradict me? How dare you not sit down when I tell you to? And finally, she relents, and she says, that's the correct answer. And Mr. Beecher looks at her, what on earth? You, you just yelled at me for five minutes here. You made everyone else sit down. What changed? He said, well, everyone was correct, but Beecher was the only one sure enough to stand up for it. You know, standing up for what we believe isn't an easy thing to do, because generally, people are going to oppose what we believe. There's got to be a price to be paid. Sometimes we're going to face humiliation or, or rejection. Sometimes we'll even lose something or, or someone that we love and hold dear. Uh, and as a result, many good men and women would rather not stand up to begin with. It's so much easier just to duck our head and let the storm pass. It's safer, or safer it's a, a lot easier, it's more comfortable, and that's what Abraham did here in uh, Genesis chapter 16. If you're reading along with us on our weekly Bible reading program, this weekend we uh, read about Abraham and he was faced with an opportunity to stand up for what he knew was right. And he realized that he, if he did, that life was going to be very difficult and uncomfortable at his home if he stood up for the promises of God. Now, just the day before Abraham, he had heard a promise from God. He would have a son. That son would come from his own body. In Genesis chapter 15, we read this weekend, we have the account of God dealing with Abraham about the promise that uh, he would make him the father of all nations. And it was a promise that Abraham's own body and the body of his wife stood in direct contradiction to. Later on in Genesis, we read how old Sarai was, and that this just wasn't going to be Possible. But we read here in Genesis 15, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So despite the age, despite their uh, infertility up to that point, in chapter 15, verse 6, the Bible says that Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted it towards him as righteousness. But now let's look at chapter 16, because while Abraham believed. He trusted God that his descendants would be more than he could count the stars. It doesn't seem that Sarah was as convinced. In verse 1, we read, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. 
please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Now, Abraham knew what God had in mind. He, he trusts God's promises. We read that in chapter 15. But once he got home, once he tried to uh, perhaps explain this to Sarah, he found that she's not as excited about this promise as he is. She's been waiting for a baby for a long time, and she's not going to wait anymore. She wants a baby, and she wants it now, and so she is going to take matters into her own hands. She's not going to wait for God. And maybe she even thought she was helping God out here. After all, God had just said that Abraham was going to have more descendants than he could count the stars, but her track record wasn't great up to that point. How could she be a part of that promise? Maybe she thought she had to get out of the way in order for Abraham to receive what God has promised to him. So she took it upon herself to help God out. How many of us have been there? We believe God's promise, but we can't figure out how he is going to use us to make it come about. And so we try to help him out. Like Sarah, we begin to say, I know what God said, but maybe this is what he meant. Maybe this is how he, what he actually meant to say. Or we say, you know, God helps those who helps themselves. And even if we know from the Bible that God helps those who are faithful to him. We start making assumptions because the plain and simple truth seems unbelievable. And when we start to make those kinds of assumptions, we end up with substitutes. You know, here's the deal. If God gave you a promise, Satan is going to make sure that you have a substitute. Satan is going to make sure that there is a substitute that seems almost like the real thing. It's just not as lasting. It's not as fulfilling, but he's going to put it right under your nose and offer it to you. Last week, we talked about uh, a, a group of people who had followed Jesus around, and we're told in John 6 that they settled for a substitute. Jesus said that he was the living bread, and offered to them eternal life, but they just wanted a physical meal. They just wanted more physical bread that Jesus would perform another miracle for them. And God offered to provide, and what happened? Satan offered a substitute, but that substitute wasn't going to last long. And here in Genesis 16, Sarah believed that God would provide, sure, but she couldn't believe that he would be able to provide through her. And just like a lot of people, uh, they believe God can heal, but they can't heal them. They, they can't put their trust in him. And so Sarah settled for a substitute, and she took things into her own hands. She says to Abraham, you will go into my handmaid's tent, and you will conceive a child through her. She decided to take charge of the situation. And notice how she says it. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I, not we, not you, me, and God, not anyone else involved. I am going to take control of the situation. I can build a family through her in Genesis 16 too. Now, Abraham's here too. He trusted God. He believed in the Lord. It was credited to him as righteousness. I don't think he believed that he needed to take things into his own hands. But Abraham's problem was that if he thought, if he could just keep his mouth shut, this whole thing would blow over. His wife would be happy. Sure, they'd have another child in addition to the one that God promised, but he was a rich man. He could afford it. Everything would work out. If he just kept his head low, he kept his mouth shut, everything would be fine. So in Genesis 16, 4, we read, So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, 
And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. Yeah, Abraham had a son. In verse 11, we learn that his name is going to be Ishmael, but it still seemed wrong. Something was still off. And I believe that's one of the reasons that God put this story in the Bible for us. I believe God wanted us to see what would happen if someone decided, even though they knew what should be done, even though they knew there was something they should take a stand for, they concluded it wasn't worth all the hassle. And because Sarah, she wanted to take matters into her own hands, and Abraham, he didn't have the fortitude to stand up and say that he trusted in God's promises and God's promises alone, they settled for a substitute to God's plan. And now watch this. The, the substitute, it was so close to the actual promise that for 13 years, Abram thought it was the promise itself. In fact, Abraham laughed in God's face when he was told that wasn't the case. Genesis 17, 15, it says, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant, that I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. You know, Abram, he laughs at God. In verse 18, Abram says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. You know, he must have thought, I've already got him half raised at this point. You know, this has been 13 years later. How can you tell me now, God, that this isn't how it was always supposed to be? You know, sometimes the devil creates such convincing substitutes for us that once we have them, we just assume keep them. We don't want the real thing anymore, even when we know they aren't a part of God's plan. And, and many people, many Christians, many believers today have been like Sarah and have given up the promise of God for an Ishmael. They have created their own answer to their problems. They've said, yeah, I know what God said, but this may be what he meant. Or maybe we need to help him along a little bit. The Bible's good, but it's just not relevant enough for me today. God would want me to improvise a little. Or you know, what they've come up with, it seems so good now. It's so satisfying for the moment that they'd rather keep it even when they know that's not a part of God's plan. They'd rather keep a substitute rather than receive the promise. And others have been like Abraham, where they've seen this happen, but they didn't have the fortitude to stand up and say, no, I trust the promises of God. You know, for all the trouble that Abraham went through to avoid conflict. His weakness as a husband led to nothing but more conflict. You know, giving in to Sarah's demands, it didn't make her happier. In fact, it created her, uh, made her even more unhappy. It created conflict and turmoil 
in division in the household, and ultimately it led to Hagar and Ishmael being kicked out of the house. And in Genesis 15, 6, or excuse me, 16, 5, Sarai blames Abram for this. My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. Sarah, she took matters into her own hands. She thought that she could help God along, and when she didn't like the consequences, what did she do? She said, I blame you, Abraham. It's your fault. You let me do it. But Abraham says, you know what, Sarah? You deal with it. Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. This is a problem. I understand, Abraham says. You can take care of it. You can continue to rely on yourself and take care of it. You know, substitutes, they'll never satisfy us. Satan uses them to distract us so we never receive what God is truly offering. And there's a reason God tells us what he tells us. In Jeremiah 29, 11, God declares, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, God didn't say that. I put this picture up the other day uh, on Facebook. God didn't say that so Hobby Lobby would have a nice saying to put on tumblers and on the throw pillows. He said it because it means something. It matters, and it's true. God has a plan for you, and you shouldn't settle for anything else. God has a direction that he wants us to go in our lives, and if we go the direction he wants us to go, then we can receive the best of what God can give. But necessarily, if we don't go in the direction God wants us to go, we can't. You know, does that make sense? If what God gives us and wants to give us is over here, and we go over here. How can we have what's over here anymore? How can we receive the blessings that God has given us? So when God tells us that there is something we need to do or tells us there is a stand we need to take, we can be assured that obeying him will lead to the best result, even if we don't understand it and even if it doesn't seem like it's leading to the best result in the moment. You know, this is important to God. And, and in Second Chronicles 69, we're told the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is searching. God is actively seeking people who are willing to go to the wall for him. God, he, he, Jesus gave his sermon on the mount. He told his listeners that God expected people to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. In other words, God wants us to be a difference in the world, and he's looking for that. He wants us to shed light on a dark, dark world, and he wants us to, to make the world taste good. But in order to make that difference, we need to be committed to standing up and saying and doing the things that are right. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men, Matthew 5, 13. God, he calls us to be the salt of the earth. But if we lose that saltiness, what good are we? We're known, uh, we're failing to accomplish the goal that God has set for us. So let's review. He, God, he has a plan for our lives. God has a, a direction that he wants us to go in our lives. And if we go in that direction, if we go where he wants us to go, we can have a hope. Then God can reward us. But if we don't go in that direction, we can't receive God's best. Now, that raises an important question for us. What happens when we mess up? What happens when we don't go 
on that path? What happens when we stray from it for a while? Or will God stop loving me when that happens? Or will I destroy God's plan for my life? Yeah, I've known of people who uh, have hesitated to become Christians because they know when they're washed in the waters of baptism, that is their clean slate, and they're terrified of getting dirt back on it. They're terrified that once they do have that cleansing, that they'll get dirty again, that they'll sin again. And after we are washed in the, the waters of baptism, does that use up that one clean slate? Well, let's take a look at what God did with Abraham. You remember, God had specifically told Abraham that he would have a child. He specifically told him this plan. But Abraham, later on, refused to stand on that promise alone. He let Sarah add to it, and he went along with that addition to the plan. He refused to stand with God, and that was wrong. And because it was wrong, there were unfortunate consequences that made his life extremely uncomfortable. But remember, this story is in Scripture for a reason. Take a look at how God responded to Abraham's failure. Genesis 21, Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman, that's Hagar, will not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever God, or what, excuse me, whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called, yet... I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed, in Genesis 21, 10 through 13. First, God didn't reject Abraham. God had given his word, and God would be true to his word. Isaac would be the son of promise. And second, God's love for Abraham was so strong that even Abraham's failures could be made right. God said, I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. God said, I made a promise to you, and even though you strayed from the path that I set out for you, I'm going to make things right. And so through Ishmael came the Ishmaelites and eventually the Arabs. Ishmael, he wasn't a part of the plan. He wasn't a part of the promise. He was the son of compromise, and he had no right to receive any blessings from God. Abraham, he'd messed up. But God didn't give up on him. God didn't give up on Ishmael. God loved Abraham. He, he sought to help him make the best out of his life. And when we become his children, he seeks every opportunity to show that love to us too. He seeks every opportunity to correct our wrongs. He seeks every opportunity to make the mistakes of our life and, and turn them around so they can glorify him. Even when we fail him, by our lack of faith, God never fails us in his faithfulness. We can always turn back to him, and he will always make us whole again. Now, the consequences of this story are so much deeper than just who got Abraham's farm when he died. This isn't about an earthly inheritance. God tells us this is symbolic of something much deeper. God used this family to illustrate an important truth for us today. It says in or excuse me, Galatians 4, verse 21, Paul wrote, Tell me who you desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the one by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. 
which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now, we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Yeah, Ishmael, he was born after the flesh. He was born because Sarah thought she had to take matters into her, her own hand. So she sent in Hagar, the bondwoman. Isaac, though, he was born of the free, the child of promise. Ishmael, he was born by an act of the flesh, not an act of faith, and it brought trouble into Abram's house almost immediately afterwards. As soon as the child was conceived, uh, that Hagar started looking on Sarai with contempt. And Ishmael, he was born of the flesh, in the ordinary way, he had an ordinary birth, but the promise that God gave to Abraham in the chapter before, it was going to come about miraculously. The promise will be birthed in a way that everyone will be able to look at it and say, only God could do that. It wasn't Sarah, it wasn't Abraham that made this come about. Only God could achieve that promise. In verse 24 here in Galatians, it tells us that this is symbolic for us today. There's the two covenants, the one is Hagar, the other is Sarah. One is of law and of bondage, and one is of grace and freedom that flows from God's promise. And God chose a woman whose womb was dead to bring forth a promise so that we can all know it was a work of God and not an ordinary work of the flesh. And just like he did for Sarah, he can bring about that promise in us. God can do that for us. He can take us as we are, broken and weak and lost, and by his power, he can give us life. We could never do that on our own. We could never take matters into our own hands, but through Christ, God has promised to do it for us. But we can't settle for an Ishmael. You know, too often we get ourselves in trouble because while we're waiting for the promise of God, instead of waiting for due season, instead of waiting for God to act, we say, you know what? God is waiting on me. God is saying, I need to do something, that I, I need to act, I need to take things into my own hands, instead of just trusting that what God has said is true. Sarah wouldn't wait. And because she wanted to take matters into her own hands, and because Abraham wasn't willing to stand up for what he knew was right, they veered away from God's plan. But God wasn't finished with them. He wasn't even willing to... to or he was even willing to make their mistake right. But God made it clear that his promise would only come about his way. It would only come when we follow his path. Settling was not allowed. And today, a lot of people have settled. A lot of people have settled for uh, an Ishmael in their salvation. They've settled for a substitute. They've taken the easy path, the, the any way you want to live path, the uh, only believe path, and ultimately the take matters into your own hands path. They, they, they want to do it themselves instead of taking what God says is true as fact. And instead of putting all their trust in God, they add to his plan and try to fit it into something 
that they can understand. The problem is what God has done for us is ununderstandable. We can't understand it. We can't grasp the depth of God's grace and love. There's no way that we'll ever get that through our minds. And if we try to trust what we understand, we'll never be able to receive the blessings that God has offered us. Instead of putting all our trust in God, some people settle for a substitute. But God told Abraham, my covenant will I establish with Isaac. And Paul quotes, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. You know, don't settle for an Ishmael. You know, God has given us a, a promise, given us a covenant, and our part is simple. Don't miss your promise. Stand up for the truth and don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for a substitute. God has a plan for you, but it only comes through the son of promise. In John 10, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, for I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. You know, Jesus is our son of promise. He's our Isaac. And as Abraham learned, we need to stand up for him. We need to be like that preacher in the story from the beginning who said, you know what? Even if this teacher is going to yell and scream like she did for everyone else down the line, I am going to stand up for what I know is right. I am going to stand up for the promises of God. God has given us a covenant that we can trust, and we don't have to settle for any of the substitutes that the devil would like to offer us. So this morning, stop settling. Maybe you're a Christian who uh, realizes you believe God has a plan for you, but uh, like Sarah, you've walked away, and maybe you've taken matters into your own hands, and now's the time to turn things back over to God, to recognize you can't handle it on your own. It's not going to work to add to God's plan. All you can do is trust by faith that he is in control. He's waiting to make your life right again. And this family is waiting here to pray with you and encourage you uh, and help you do that. Or if you're not a Christian, there is no lasting substitute to God. There's a lot of things offered to us. There are a lot of things um, that Satan puts in front of us to to try to make us feel like uh, we have something lasting, but it's all going to fade away. Jesus is the door, the only door to abundant life. And to receive that gift, all you have to do is put your whole trust in him. If you're ready to do that, to turn away from all the substitutes of this world, to put your trust in Jesus uh, and be baptized now, now's the time to come to the front of the room as we stand and as we sing.